0: I'm j And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Basecode Podcast.
1: Welcome back, J-Mac. hey yo. How's it going?
0: Pretty good. I noticed in Transistor, we just passed 10,000 downloads.
1: Nice. Go us. Yeah, it's pretty
0: good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's
0: fun. I mean, I, I listened to Justin Jackson and, and you know, Build Your Sass, of course. Yeah. And I definitely have heard where he's mentioned, you know, most podcasts don't even get like a thousand downloads or something like that. So, yeah. just kind of using that as a metric. Hopefully, hopefully that's what he means. Maybe he means like per episode, but either way, I'm pretty happy with passing the ten thousand download mark. And I think this recent mini series is actually we've seen an uptick too. So I think the word's getting out.
1: Yeah, nice. That's really exciting. I'm I'm really glad that yeah, it's not just. I don't know, the people are listening to it, you know?
0: Yeah. That's good. Yeah, exactly. So so yeah, like, like we've said before, you know, we're always thinking of new miniseries topics or we can go deeper on stuff we're talking about in the current miniseries. Just hit us up on Twitter and let us know.
1: Yeah. So should we get right into it today?
0: Yeah, let's just jump into it because I feel like last time was a bit of a softer session and we kind of said you know, again, we're stumbling across the format as we go here, but we kind of said like, let's do a soft, softer kind of high level episode. And then let's try to do maybe like a, you know, a harder low level technical episode. Yeah, cool. So to frame this one up, I think, you know, last time we kind of talked about how we work, you know, at a high level, like our day to day and how we make decisions. But I think this time, let's again, take it low level and talk about maybe some hard technical challenges and like what they were kind of set up the technical space and talk about you know technically how we worked through them sure and whatever project client work whatever it is ideally related to our our products of course so so what was kind of a hard technical challenge with with gifty duck or kind of your client work that you kind of had to work through like set it up for us to start
1: okay so the first one that comes to mind actually is one that I haven't yet fully solved, but I have something in place that's working for now, which is Okay, cool. Also kind of yeah, maybe leads to another another thing to talk about. So in terms of sending out monthly emails and you might have some good advice on this. As I've mentioned okay. before, I'm using Laravel Vapor, so that kind of goes hand in hand with Amazon SES for sending email. Nice. And, of course, you run into problems of rate limiting. And to make it even more interesting, with Laravel Vapor, when you're running your queues, you don't really have, like, one worker or, like, a few workers that kind of are processing a few things, but, like, sequentially, but a few at a time. It's literally, if you put a job on the queue, you can have, like, a whole swarm of worker processes can come up and just take that job. So sending emails becomes... A problem when you run into rate limiting.
0: I see. So so real quick, just to make sure everyone's clear, because I think I put some dots together because maybe I saw a tweet or something okay. that you did about it or someone else did about a similar problem. So the issue isn't necessarily processing the mail. It's actually the opposite. It's that you're processing it so quickly yes. that you're hitting these rate limits because, you know, stuff's just picking up, sending out these 10,000 emails that otherwise would have potentially processed naturally over time on like a single worker queue kind of thing.
1: Yeah. And so the the, the Laravel, I guess, official way of doing this would be to use Redis locks to Mm -hmm. prevent multiple jobs firing at the same time. But to set up Redis in AWS you're instantly paying an extra penalty because you've got to set up from memory like a NAT gateway, I think. So you've instantly okay. got like a $20 a month fee or something along those lines. I can't remember the specifics of the, of the price now. So, yeah. and all of the solutions around rate limiting a job queue all involve Redis. And I would love to be running Redis, but the added cost for it was like for, for this one particular problem wasn't really like it was hard to justify, I guess, when I'm not really making any money on the project. Sure. If it was a business that actually had a budget, then yeah, hands down, just chuck Redis in. But instead, I was trying to get a little bit more creative with the problem. And Uh-oh. yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up getting to a point where I would just like fire it off on the command line manually and watch what was happening and effectively record the status of every like once an email failed to send and then rerun it again afterwards and it would make sure that it recorded the last time every single one sent so that it would never resend the same email to a person again sure does that make sense
0: so wait a second were you having issues where it was also sending duplicate
1: no but that's what i wanted to make sure that i didn't happen oh i see because okay. depending on how you architected this, it would be very easy to end up in that situation.
0: Sure, 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 sure. Yeah.
1: Where if you if you run your monthly job and halfway through it fails, then how yeah. do you know which ones to then go and send again, right?
0: How do you know where you were? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you could potentially resend it. So so it's not so much that the initial problem was also it was Duplicating them or competing to resend them. It's that your potential solution has to account for exactly doing that Yeah, so so yeah, let's let's unpack this just a bit because there's kind of two gut reactions that I have And I think as you and I are are different types of developers We approach problems differently that I think that makes for good discussion. Yeah, which is kind of the whole point of the podcast so let's let's take a step way back first and let me say philosophically that any time I'm writing code and there's a little, you know, JMac on my shoulder or, you know, voice in my head. Yep. Right. Like the, like the impatient J-Mac on my shoulder, let's say. Yep. He's kind of like, dude, why the hell are you writing this code? This code already exists. Like Laravel should do this. Yeah. Like, And again, Laravel does to the point like of your specific example, when you're starting to write like check and make sure this job hasn't been run and make sure this job should be next and add this failure built. Like when you're competing with the framework in a way or any code, not just Laravel. To me, that's normally when that little voice goes off and it's just like you're doing it wrong.
1: I agree. And my general philosophy is don't do anything that's not in the documentation that's not like the <laughs> official way to do something
0: yeah i think that's like a happy challenge though right i i do think some developers may look at that and think well why i can use native php and do all this and i can use symphony directly and do all this like in the context of Laravel. like it's very easy for us to go underneath the hood right yeah and that's good that's that's totally a good quality but i i think it's also a f- a fun challenge, a happy challenge. And, and I think developers should potentially welcome that more of like, hey, if it's not quote unquote official, you know, through documentation or known, you know, Laravel, whatever, layer cast forums or whatnot, like I'm not gonna write that code. Like, I think that's an interesting convention. So I like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would always encourage people to not reinvent the wheel not just because of the time it takes, but because of the, the maintenance overhead, you've got to take on that code afterwards. If someone else is looking at the code, they don't have the ability to just go, oh, how does how does this work in this system? Like they can't just yeah. look at the documentation and go, oh, this is the way Laravel does it. And I can see here that this is doing it here, here, here and here. They've got to go in yeah. and sort of, yeah. I mean, the whole point of a framework like Laravel or Rails is to help you focus more on your specific business rules and not focus on resolving common technical challenges like, you know, queuing and authentication and all these sorts of things. Sure.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of wrap it up and and move forward, like to say it bluntly, it's a bit naive to think that you're going to do it better. Like it's pretty exceptional and rare that you are trailblazing this code path (laughs) that something hasn't already been solved like I'm not saying it's never yeah but it's it's really the exception to the rule like the rule is that this code exists there's no reason for you to try to outsmart it yeah or write it yourself
1: I agree but the thing with this particular scenario is that I just couldn't bring myself to commit to a monthly non-insignificant fee to solve the problem
0: sure so that's (laughs) that's going back to the problem and to my second point my second point Is at that point, I would, if I was doing all that, that would lead me to believe, okay, well, I shouldn't be doing this way. Let's take a step back and look at the approach. And so I would then go all the way back and be like, why am I using vapor? Like, again, nothing wrong with vapor, but if you're talking about incurring more costs, then why not just dump back down to like a $10 a month? digital ocean box.
1: Yeah. And to be clear on specifically the problem because I can hear a lot of people saying this is a marketing email. Use a marketing mail service where you just send it once and it broadcasts it for you. Oh
0: yeah, that's another good point. Yeah.
1: But in this case, the it's in this case it's more of a transactional email in that there's a lot of uh, calculations that go into creating each email in terms of like it there's a full table of upcoming events and all these stats and everything in there. And I couldn't find any marketing provider that had a way to insert fully dynamic content customized per user. Like they have like the, the kind of mail merge style thing where I can say, hi, first name. Yeah, yeah. But I got you. I couldn't get in the level of complete custom email for each person that I needed to solve this particular challenge. So I had to use a transactional email provider rather than a marketing email provider.
0: Okay. So fair enough. So. I'll play along, okay. but I just pointing out for the audience, I would have asked those two questions yes. and honestly probably solved it by backing away from the underlying issue, yes, at least temporarily, yes. until a better solution presented itself. But let's say that's way too much effort. Like you're committed to this platform or you can't find, again, it's not like a vapor issue
1: it's an amazon issue really
0: yeah sure yeah or again you could have but even if it were an amazon issue you might have been able to solve it by putting your money somewhere else like you said on email marketing service so let's say you can't solve it with another service mm-hmm. so to speak so let's get into the technicals what about like chaining the jobs
1: like having each job dispatch itself like it processes one and pushes the next one onto the queue
0: Yeah, so that would alleviate potentially the swarming effect. Yes. Because you really only start with like the parent job, and then you know that if nothing else, they're at least sequential. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you won't hit your rate limit because they could simply just send as fast to hit it. But I don't know. It's a quick idea.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember if I did try something along those lines. I know I tried batching them into a hundred at a time or whatever it might be. Because like the rate limit was something like 14 per second or something pretty generous, really. Sure. But it was just because of the architecture of the queues that it was actually hitting that quite easily.
0: I'll have to check shifty coders, the little slack workspace we have yeah I feel like someone was talking about this if it wasn't you or maybe it was Jack Ellis or something had a little tweet about it
1: yeah I'm curious to see what he has to say about it in his course actually I should hit him up yeah anyway
0: I would be curious about that like I know Laravel has chainable jobs yes like built in and I know I'm sure that there's probably a delay to say chain this after A certain number of seconds
1: yeah the thing is though is that when you're dealing with seconds that's fine when you don't have to send too many but if you're having to send a lot even one second delay means that your entire job might take more than a day to run
0: (laughs) no i hear you i think that's probably what i would do i would try to keep it as Laravel as possible like given that i can't back off given that i can't pay money elsewhere to solve the problem and i have to implement a solution myself i would probably try that I would probably be like can I chain these jobs sequentially somehow
1: yeah and to kind of wrap it all up though is the solution I came up with I wasn't happy with it but I knew that if I had enough users where I started running into problems with my current solution I would then be in a position where I could easily justify the extra cost of setting up the network gateway for Redis
0: so what was your solution then
1: I'm trying to remember the specifics of it now. I feel like I need to go double check the code. (laughs) Uh, I can do that. Sure. Ah, that's right. Okay. Got it. So I actually went for a really super simple approach and I created my job in a way that is idempotent. So for those that aren't familiar with the term, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly because it's one of those words I've only ever read and never heard people really say out loud. So idempotent is when you can take the same action multiple times and have uh, and not have the same thing happen multiple times, if you know what I mean, right? So I can sure. do the same thing multiple times and I'll only end up with the same result every time. So for example, that's nice. where like a patch request or a put request, I can send 20 of the same request to edit a job with the same field. I can run that 20 times. And at the end of the day, it's as if I ran it one time. The difference with a create request, if I send 20 of those post requests, I end up with 20 new records. So I made the job item potent by just storing the time that the the email was sent per record, so that if that job then fails and has to restart up again, it restarts up again and it only pulls in the ones that haven't already been sent. So I can literally run this job, it can go halfway through and fail, it can then start up again and it'll just pick back up where it left off and it'll just keep running through it until there's no more records left to run. So the job itself doesn't just go, I need to send a thousand emails to these people. And every time you run it, it does that. It's set up in such a way that it goes, I need to send a thousand emails to these specific people only one time. And it doesn't matter how many times you run that job, it will only send it to those people one time each.
0: Nice. Okay. So let's got a couple technical questions then. Okay. Since we're going super technical episode. So the job, is it only one job that processes all emails or do you dispatch a thousand okay. jobs for a thousand emails? I.
1: Th- oh, sorry, I need to double check that again. So <laughs> I have a, a main job, which is the, the scheduled job, I guess you could call it. And this is the one that runs monthly and it gotcha. dispatches the, the jobs to send the individual email.
0: Okay. So if you have a thousand emails it'll dispatch a thousand jobs
1: yes precisely
0: okay cool and then as far as the failure goes the failure can be because you hit your rate limit yes okay so when then you put that back on the queue you try to rerun all thousand again but basically a couple of those just fail or not fail early but they bail early or return early because they've already run.
1: So the parent job grabs all of the users that haven't received the email that month. And gotcha. that also are configured to receive it. So that there's a query that literally says user monthly digest, not sent, but once monthly digest. So there's two little query scopes on there. Gotcha. And then I also configured the job. I added a parameter to the job where I could limit how many it would run at a time. Sure. Because I got to the point where I just wanted to manually run this job and see where it was failing and have the ability to run it, it again worked. for the time being. So I added a little gotcha. flag that let me say, just try and do 100. And it'll just grab 100 of those ones and run it through, and I can see it all happening.
0: Little tracer bullet. Nice, cool. Okay, so that all makes sense. And and you said that was my final question. How are you tracking the item potency? And it sounds like you have kind of like a table of.
1: It's just a column. Yeah, it's basically the last time the monthly email was sent. Cool. So when the next month rolls around, it says, "Well, the last time it was sent was the previous month, so I'm okay to send it again this month." And as soon as it nice. sent it, and. It does mean that for every single email that's sent, it is hitting the database with a write, like it's writing it to the database. It doesn't send a thousand emails and then do one update statement to update all a thousand records. But that's kind of required really in order for this to be able to fail gracefully, I guess you could call it.
0: No, and that's exactly what I was going to say. So to to wrap it up, make sure I understand, basically you didn't solve the problem necessarily. You instead added some code that allowed it To exactly like you said fail gracefully which will also allows you to recover gracefully simply by rerunning the entire job again yeah and it's just now smart enough with the little column and database to fancy buzzword be idempotent yeah and not necessarily have you know additional things that it does after it's done it
1: And once, like if I do move to add Reddit and not Reddit, Redis, (laughs) and incur the extra cost of that, I don't really need to modify this job very much. I can just enable the rate limiting on the queue and just let this run and then it just shouldn't fail anymore.
0: Yeah, it won't fail that first pass. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Good one.
1: So how about you? Uh. I've
0: kind of talked about this a bunch of times, and I think it, I think it's the pretty obvious technical challenge with something like shift, uh, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on it, but for me, it's accuracy. So, of course, when I'm going in and updating applications, I'm dealing with a lot of variance, right? Like, we're not only talking about the dynamic nature of PHP as a language, right? Like knowing if something's an int, or if you've overridden a method, or if you're inheriting something from you know a trait or whatever and then also the various ways of course you can write laravel like some people you know may or may not use certain methods or helpers or whatever so i kind of just file all that under context is what i call it so determining the context and making sure that let's say a couple versions ago the ttl changed the time to live for cached items Mm -hmm. changed from minutes to seconds. Right. That was kind of one of the first times that I really wanted shift to kind of do that and not just say, Oh, I see you're using the cache facade kind of generically Mm -hmm. in these six or seven spots, go fix them. I just, I was shift was getting to a level where I wanted to do more and, even though I had been using things like the abstract syntax tree, like, like actually statically parsing it with, with Nickix PHP parser, mm-hmm. like I wasn't using it everywhere. I was kind of only using it for the stuff that was really, 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 you know, reused in every shift, like the core stuff. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't build every single little, I call them tasks. So every little task is like maybe a section in the upgrade guide. And so each shift has like 20 or 30 tasks, for example, because mm-hmm. it performs whatever that little upgrade minutia is. So in this case, the TTL task originally, you know, three years ago might've just been a string search for cache colon colon. Right. Yeah. And just said, Hey, you're using cash. Go fix these. And, great. You know, it's just nine bucks. No big deal. No one ever really complained. But again, that's kind of the technical challenge I have is, is getting that context as close as possible, but also kind of going back to little inpatient JMAC on my shoulder, like not necessarily writing a PHP interpreter, you know what I mean? Like not having a graph database that tracks that this variable got injected from here, which came from the container, which is you know what I mean? Like yeah, that's like an editor. That's like PHP Storm, click through craziness going on right there. Yeah, and so the balance between those two, simple string searching and maybe something just a bit more accurate, juggling that and then writing those is probably my biggest technical challenge.
1: Okay. Just as a side note question, have you looked into the language server protocol?
0: No, uh, what what is that?
1: So it's basically a protocol, I think created by Microsoft that creates a common protocol for text editors to integrate with specific languages. So a PHP language server provides things like go to definition all the IntelliSense, all that sort of stuff. So Visual Studio Code uses language servers to achieve most of these things, which is really, really cool. And it makes it in such a way that it's not specific to an editor. So any other editor can use the PHP language server or the uh, Ruby language server or the Go language server to implement these same features without everyone reinventing the wheel every single time.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. And of course, we'll we'll link it in the show notes. But yeah, I'm always stumbling upon different little tools that are more efficient with search and replace, or maybe they do search and replace in like a smarter code kind of way, like they're somehow familiar with generic syntax, to your point. Mm. So anytime I see those, I definitely like consider them. But again, most languages have some kind of open source, you know, parser like that gives you a syntax tree and from there you can build pretty easy like crawlers to do some pretty fancy stuff so like you know once you have that syntax tree it's really just a matter of time to kind of figure out okay how can i reliably enough you know for me anyway determine that this is like a function that you're using or this is a static reference call cuz you can figure that out from the syntax tree pretty straightforward And then, of course, from there, it's just like still, again, string matching and making sure, okay, that's a static reference and you called it cache. Well, that means you're using the cache facade or this is a function call and its function name was cache. Okay. You're using the helper. And now you have enough context to get more accurate, not a hundred percent, but more accurate and give you just that bit more value. And again, no one's ever complained about this, but what I have seen is people be like impressed that for example, those TTLs were changed from minutes to seconds automatically by shift. Like when shift can do those kinds of things, like it's really bringing, in my opinion, a lot of value, especially if your application had a hundred places. And again, this is just one out of 20 tasks. So yeah, I really nowadays try when I make shift to have one or two of those in each shift, that just those alone would be worth the nine bucks. Forget all the you know formatting and dependency composer updates and it's also doing like that one thing that's alone is the value so that's kind of the goal anyway yeah true cool cool well we're well well at time but yeah hopefully people uh, appreciated the the more technical episode there and maybe you'll get some some more ideas about your queue
1: yeah indeed i'd like to do more technical ones as well because i think there's a whole lot of stuff would be fun to talk about
0: cool All right, well, see you next week.
1: See ya. Show notes for this episode can be found at basecodefieldguide.com slash 20.